Welcome to the Hills. All of you watching online, we're a church in Tarrant County with three campuses. Delighted you are with us. Can I just begin by asking you to give God a clap offering for the rain? Are we grateful for that? Thank you, Lord. I know everyone didn't get the same amount, but I got two good soaking rains at my house. And I don't think God answered our prayers. I think God is answering our prayers. So let's keep asking for every drop he's willing to give. Our mission as a church is to make and grow followers of Jesus. We didn't invent that. We received that from Jesus himself. Go into all the world. Make disciples. The way we're doing that is a vision called Ask for Nations and Generations. So a couple of quick uh, announcements about ways we can ask for generations. One, in two weeks, there's going to be a dinner, a, to a foster and adoption network dinner here at the NRH campus. Jamie and I are adoptive parents. We know that not every child has the advantage of being raised in a stable home with their two birth parents. Uh, we believe in adoption. We believe in fostering. And that's where some of you are. Some of you are respite workers. Some of you are in kinship placements. And some of you are thinking about it. We would like to know who is that network so that we can encourage and equip each other. So we're going to have a dinner. If you're in that place or you know someone who is, please let them know. We'll provide child care down from fifth grade down if you'll reserve a place by next week. And if you have any questions, reach out to Amber Bays on our staff. That's in two weeks. And then next Sunday, we open our new campus in Keller. We are so excited. We're moving from South Lake in a facility that was never good for our purposes to a brand new facility that we've remodeled. Uh, it's going to be amazing exactly what we need. It's paid for because of your generous uh, courage offerings. Uh, we've already had a baptism. The last three weeks, our volunteers have been training at the building. And last week, someone decided to get baptized. I believe we're going to see thousands, I use that word on purpose, baptized at that church and so that launches next Sunday. Now, a quick word to all of you at North Richmond Hills and West Fort Worth. Don't go next Sunday <laughs> because we have limited space for guests and we want them to feel welcome. You can go later and appreciate it. But right now, pray for next Sunday and the opening of our campus in Keller. Now, we started a series last week called Find Your One. One of our beliefs is that each one of us who knows Jesus has someone in our life that we can introduce to Jesus. We often ask, who's your one? And we get this mission from Jesus, who described himself as on a search and rescue operation. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And we saw last time that Jesus uses the word lost to communicate value. I don't get on my hands and knees and look for a penny that rolled under my car, but I will for a quarter. The more I value something, the more I'm willing to sacrifice to try to find it. Now, the bad news is people are really good at getting lost, but the good news is Jesus is really good at finding lost people. And one reason is because he understands we don't get lost in the same ways. We get lost in different ways for different reasons. For example, last time we saw a story about a sheep. Some people get lost because they get distracted and they just wind up in a place in life they never thought they would ever be. But there's other ways to get lost. 
So look, for example, at the next story Jesus told. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Okay, here's what we all know. Coins don't lose themselves. Coins don't wander off like a sheep. Coins don't shake their fist and storm out of the house like a prodigal. Coins get lost because someone dropped them. They're lost because of the carelessness or the callousness of someone else. You see, some are far from God because they have wandered, but some are far from God because they have been wounded. But Jesus refuses to drop the search for the one who has been dropped. So today we're going to see Jesus meet a woman who had been dropped more than once. And notice how he finds and values her. In John chapter 4, starting in verse 4, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. He was alone at that time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. This well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us his well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. So the story starts with Jesus tired and thirsty. Now, God does not get tired or thirsty, but God in the flesh does. His disciples go into town to get some food. He's there by himself. He sees a figure walking toward the well, and as the figure gets closer... He notices it's a woman. And immediately, there are two things about that that are surprising to Jesus. One is that she's coming in the middle of the day. That's not when women collected water. They went in the morning or in the evening when it wasn't so hot. And second, she's coming by herself, which women did not do because that wasn't safe. 
And immediately Jesus senses. She's coming in the middle of the day by herself. This woman is carrying burdens heavier than the jars in her arms. Well, as she gets closer, she sees what she's not expecting either. A man. And not just any man, a Jewish man. And that's not what she was expecting. It says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Well, the truth is, he didn't have to. Most Jews went around Samaria. And so when she sees this Jewish man, she immediately assumes something too. He thinks he's better than I am. Well, the truth is, in that culture and day, everyone thought he was better than she was. He was better on the basis of race. The Samaritan peoples were created. When the Babylonians took the Jewish people into exile, they left a few Jews behind. Those left behind intermarried with Canaanite peoples and took on some of their religion. So when the exiles returned, they found these Samaritans polluted by blood and perverted in faith in their estimation. And they hated them. And the animosity went both ways. When this woman said, you are a Jew, she spit those words. Because the only Jewish men who ever noticed her wanted more than a drink. In everyone's eyes, he was better than her on the basis of race and also on the basis of gender. And we might miss this because when we read the Gospels, we notice how comfortable Jesus is around women. They follow him. They support him. He heals them. They sit at his feet and he teaches them. But in that day, no respected rabbi would ever be caught talking about spiritual things in public with a woman. When the disciples come back from town, it says they were surprised, not that he was talking to a Samaritan, but that he was talking to a woman. No one would have said that she could be better than him because no one thought she was even equal to him. And most of all, he would have been considered better on the basis of morality because this lady had a rep. She had a reputation that mothers warned their sons about. And her relational past was material for gossip for all the ladies that went to the well in the morning and in the evening. In fact, that's probably why she was by herself. She was tired of the raised eyebrows and the snickers and the snide comments about her behind her back. She's going in the middle of the day to avoid people, not to seek a conversation. And of all things, there is a Jewish man seeking her and for a noble reason. So they start to talk. And if you notice, the more they talk, the more she starts to let her guard down because she's not used to talking to a man who affords her this kind of respect and dignity. But then he went there. He asked about her husband. She dodged the question. But Jesus said, here's the truth. You've had five marriages and now you're living with a man. And immediately she assumes two more things. Number one, he must be a prophet. And number two, I am about to get hammered. Because the one constant in her life 
When men find something about you they don't approve of, they get rid of you. The one thing she could depend on from men was rejection. And instead, she gets an offer of redemption. Jesus starts talking about worship. That God's too big to be put in a box or a temple. And that he's looking for people to worship him in spirit and truth. People just like her. And she didn't know how to wrap her mind around this. And so she says, verse 25, I know Messiah is coming. The one who was called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Okay. You need to feel the weight of that. Because it's the first time Jesus had ever publicly said that. Not to a religious leader. Not to a family member. Not to a Jewish person. This woman that everybody said is less than. A Samaritan woman with a tainted past. Jesus says there's no one better than her to be the first to know who I really am. Because Jesus finds the dropped. He searches for the wounded. He did then. He still does today. And some of the people I'm talking to right now know what I said is true. Because you were the dropped person Jesus found. Like Lauren. Please listen to her testimony. Well, I'm Lauren. I grew up in the church went off to one of those Christian colleges that you're supposed to go to. It kind of started falling apart, maybe sophomore, junior year. Just something happened within an organization that I was involved in. And when I saw that, it just kind of started a downward slope, just kind of led me to drinking, which then was partying and leaving responsibilities, which I ended up dropping out of school and moving to Dallas. And a lot changed when I had my daughter. I wasn't married, I was very much in love. Um, and thought was with the man I was gonna marry. He was completely 180 from the person I thought he was and the drinking just escalated. And it all kind of came to a head sitting on my couch on October 15th when I'd taken my daughter to school and I came home and took a drink of alcohol and it was not even eight o'clock in the morning and I just sat down hopeless and broken. And he spoke to me. I had a literal voice of God say, are you done? I knew I was free in that moment. And I had seen and heard about Celebrate Recovery and being involved in, you know, Celebrate Recovery has led to so many friendships. I guess reinforced, you know, what it is to be a Christian and to be authentically yourself because that's all God's asking for. On Memorial Day, my daughter and I were at the pool and my typical pool activity, especially on a holiday, was drinking. But I stayed out there with her all day. I mean, forever. We missed lunch. She didn't care. She was in the pool. She was happy. So we were literally about out the gate. And I heard screaming. And I just kind of glanced back. And then I just locked eyes with this mom who was in the pool, just screaming. And before I could even really react, a woman dove in, grabbed this little boy that was at the bottom of the pool, and brought him up and put him literally at my feet. And 
another gentleman ran over and he started doing chest compressions. And I watched enough Grey's Anatomy and ER to know, you know, you gotta breathe too. Someone's gotta do the breathing. Just something came over me. I hit my knees and I just started breathing while Henry was doing the chest compressions. And we're, you know, alternating. I'm bawling because I'm like, this kid is gone. And all of a sudden he started coughing and choking. And he just sat up like, what just happened? But it wasn't until we got home and, you know, kind of relaxed and everything that that hit me that I never would have done that drunk, ever. You know, I've, I've had this thought over the last, it's been nine months. Would I go back and change anything? Would I've never started drinking? Done the things I've done that, are, that go against God's will and things that I was taught growing up. Would I go back and change it? Because I got here. Thank you, Lauren, for your transparency. So, who's your one? Is it possible that God is asking you to find someone that you know has been dropped? And Jesus can teach us some things about loving people like that well. And here's the first thing, that everyone is worth the search. Everyone is worth the search to Jesus. That's why he had to go through Samaria because he knew there was someone who needed to be told that she mattered to God. You see, when it comes to ascribing worth, Jesus didn't use all the worthless ways that people tend to do that. How do we decide what someone's worth? Typically, context. Let me illustrate. I got a bottle of water. What is it worth? Doesn't it depend on the story behind it? If you buy it in bulk at Costco, it's 30 to 40 cents a bottle. What's it worth at a convenience store? One or two dollars a bottle for the same bottle. What about at a movie theater? Now it's going to cost three or four dollars. What about at a Ranger game? Now you're going to spend five dollars for a bottle of water. What about at a cowboy game? It's going to cost you $28 to get a <laughs> bottle of water. And what about at DFW Airport? You know, you might as well be prepared to take out a loan. Because that's how we tend to decide what is something worth. Well, what's the story? We do that with people. Where have they been? What have they done? What's their past like? And what you need to hear is that Jesus says, no, every single person is made in the image of God and their value does not fluctuate depending on where they've been or where you found them or what they've been through. We don't fully appreciate how much Jesus has changed the way in Western culture we decide that people have dignity and value. Even those who despise the Christian faith but champion justice aren't fully aware that it is Jesus that is the reason they think justice matters. And there was a uh, secular humanist philosopher at Stanford University named Rene Girard who was uh, captured by this one question. Where did this notion that the person on the margin has moral authority, where did it come from? Nobody in the ancient world thought that. You can't find any ancient literature of any people group that said the rich shouldn't oppress the poor. 
The strong shouldn't dominate the weak. No one believed the people on the margin had a right to justice and dignity. Where did this notion come from? He researched and he researched and he concluded it all started with this Jewish rabbi named Jesus. He changed everything. And against the protest of his secular scholar friends, he became a follower of Jesus. See, most saw that woman and they thought, well, I know she's had a hard life, but she probably had it coming to her. And Jesus saw her and thought, who created this woman? And is this what the father intended for his daughter? And he would not allow her wounds to keep him at arm's length. And that's something else we can learn from Jesus. That someone with wounds needs to be heard, not ignored. There's such tenderness in the way he engages this woman in conversation because she starts a dialogue with sarcasm and with contempt. She wants to have a fight. She wants to argue. She makes statements that aren't even true, like who owns Jacob's well. And Jesus won't go there. He didn't come here to fight this woman. He came there to love her. He lets her talk because he knows she needs validation. He knows he's talking with a precious one who has been dropped many times. Realize in her culture, she wasn't the one doing the filing in all these broken marriages. She wasn't allowed to. Some man would take her in. He would use her. He would get unhappy with her. He would dump her. And another man would do it. And another man would do it. And that's all she has known her adult life is men keep you as long as there's something about you they benefit from, and then they reject you. But for the first time, a man valued her without needing to use her. For the first time, a man actually listened to her. And we need to learn from Jesus that that's what you do with people who've been dropped. The first thing you do is you listen. It's especially true when it comes to the poor way women are often treated. So let me talk about something that's hard for just a moment. When I began my ministry, I had no idea how toxic our culture is regarding women. Almost every woman listening to me right now has had at least once in her life to deal with sexual harassment from some man. And one in four women in our society has been sexually abused or sexually assaulted. Let that sink in and break your heart. Right now, I'm not talking to a few or dozens, but I'm talking today to hundreds of women who have been sexually abused or assaulted. And here's what's even more tragic. Only one out of three of those women reported their assault. 
Because in our culture, sexual abuse and assault is still the only crime where the victim is often treated like the problem and told to be quiet. And sadly, recent years have revealed that even in churches, too often, this has been true. And for this, we must repent. The wounded need to be heard. They need reception, not rejection, if there is ever to be any hope of redemption. Because what someone who has been dropped needs most of all is living water. So the third thing Jesus teaches us is that no one can heal internal ills at external wells. You see, to do honest business with this text, you've got to ask the question, Jesus, why did you go there? Why did you directly steer the conversation in the direction of her woundedness? The last thing she wants to talk about. It's because Jesus knew the only way she could heal is to have the futility of her well exposed. You see, she believed the lie a lot of women believe. The next man is going to quench my part so. I just haven't found the right man yet. And she kept going to a source that would numb her soul temporarily, but never quench it permanently. We all are guilty of this kind of thinking. All around us, we see people going to wells to try to find their value and to find their worth, and they're not delivering. Go to any magazine rack. It's just a well shop. Do you want to feel better about yourself? Diet some and buy some clothes so that you can look like her. Or do you want to feel better about yourself? You need to build an empire like he did. You need to sell more homes like she does. You need to create a platform where you get a lot of likes. You need to be in love with this person or have more sex like they do. And they're all wells. Empty wells. More like cisterns. Because Jesus knows nothing on the outside can ultimately quench the parchness of a dropped, wounded soul. He says this most amazing thing to this lady. The water I give becomes a fresh, bubbling stream within them. What's he talking about? A few chapters later, on the last and most important day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. If anyone believes in me, rivers of living water will flow out from that person's heart. As the scripture says, Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I know your soul has been wounded. I know it's dry. What you need is a dynamic relationship with the living God who wants to come and live in you. Constantly be there for you. You can't heal what's parched and broken on the inside with anything you can buy on the outside. 
People think I just need more. If I just had more money, if I just had more likes, if I just had more sex, if I just had more, I need a bigger bucket. No, Jesus says, you don't need a bigger bucket. You need a better well. Because Jesus knows the only way to find true worth is to meet the living God. Anyone can find their true worth in Jesus. Anyone. The one with the reputation. The one who's been dropped. Anyone. And I know that's difficult. Especially if you have been dropped. Especially if you have been the recipient of severe trauma. It's hard for you to believe because of your past that there's any hope of a flourishing future. But the God who made you still wants you to thrive. And he gets the last word in your life, not your wounds. He can pick up anyone, no matter where they are, no matter how they got dropped, because he believes everyone is worth it. And so, as I prepared this message this week, I just felt really led by the Spirit to take a moment for a pastoral word. To all of the dear ladies listening to me today who've been dropped, who've been wounded by the shameful treatment of men. Men who didn't know how to keep a promise or honor your body. And the first thing I want to say is, it's not your fault. Don't listen to that voice inside that says, I must be part of the blood. It's not your fault. And the second thing I want you to hear is, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. I'm sorry it happened. I'm sorry you've carried that wound for years and didn't feel like you could tell anybody. I'm so sorry if you told somebody and you got skepticism instead of empathy. I'm just so sorry. But I'm not nearly as sorry as your Father in heaven is. He grieves with you that his daughter got treated that way. And I have a big ask that you not project onto God the poor behavior of men. Your value is not determined by what was done to you. Your value is determined by what Jesus has done for you. Your value is determined by the wounds of Jesus. Paul said, It's in Christ that we find out who we are. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eye on us. So I want to show you briefly 
one of the most famous photographs taken in my lifetime. I won't keep it up long because it's too hard to look at. But some of you recognize that was in 1972. A South Vietnamese plane dropped a napalm bomb. And many innocent people were burned. And that little girl, we'll call her Kim, literally had her clothes burned off. And she's screaming, it's too hot. It's too hot. Most thought she would die. She spent over a year in a hospital. She's had over the course of her life 17 surgeries and still to this day lives in pain. But the pain on the inside was even greater. The North Vietnamese used her as a propaganda tool. But the wound just kept getting more severe. She found herself in a library looking at a book she'd never seen, a Bible. And to her great surprise, she read about a God who had been wounded. More investigation led her on Christmas Eve to a little clandestine church in Saigon. And she gave her life to Jesus Christ. She was sent to Cuba for schooling. She met her fiancé there. They married. Were sent to Moscow for a honeymoon. They got off the plane as it refueled in Gander, Newfoundland. And she sought asylum. She's lived in Canada to this day. She runs a ministry for children who are victims of war. She's been able to find forgiveness instead of bitterness. The wounding of her soul has healed. And she said recently in an interview in Christianity Today, I thank God for that road. I thank God for my wounds because that's how I found Jesus. I need to be careful with that statement. I am not saying God ordains wounds. I am saying God redeems wounds. So maybe you find yourself here today because God wants you to find someone that's been dropped. Or maybe you find yourself here today because God is trying to find you. I love the words to the song we're about to sing. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures of fate are never enough. Then you came along and put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your love. For there's nothing better than you. And I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all. And you still call me friend because the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. And there's not a place where your mercy and grace won't find me again. The God who has been wounded is looking for you. Bow your head, please. So God, I pray that some of us will have our eyes 
supernaturally open to better see those among us who have been wounded. And God, I pray the rest of us will have our eyes supernaturally opened so that our wounds won't keep us from seeing Jesus. And I pray in his name. Amen.